Let me also say this to you. Uh, the number one thing uh, when people tell us how did you get connected at City Church is Love Tulsa Sunday. Uh, I always tell people family doesn't become family overnight just because you show up on Sunday. You don't become church family. Uh, you have to take some steps. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to show up in other spaces. And Love Tulsa Sunday is one of those where you're going to be on a team of people. You're going to go out and love our city. So it's not just what we do for others. It's actually what happens in us. It's the family that God builds uh, among the community as you, as you do that. So, uh, man, just figure out what project you want to be a part of. Uh, rain or shine, we're going we're gonna to go do, uh, do Love Tulsa Sunday and have a great time and love people. Uh, let me say this to you as well. Uh, there's no sermon series today, and next Sunday is uh, Love Tulsa Sunday. But the Sunday after that, uh, every three or four years, we actually bring back a sermon series. This is the only sermon series that we've now done for the third time because it's probably one of the most popular ones in the history of our church. But it's also such important topics. And so uh, in May and June, we're going to be bringing back Love Lies, which is cultural lies we believe about love, sex, marriage, and singleness. And so all of you are covered in that. So every, it's for everybody. And uh, what, every week we address a cultural lie. And so if we're going to be people of the kingdom of God, people of uh, the Bible, people of, of, with a Christian worldview, we have to know what are the lies that are so easy to get sucked into, specifically about love, sex, marriage, and singleness. And, and so our teaching team will be addressing a lot of topics, some that are very controversial. We don't shy away from that around here. Uh, we tell people, hey, we can disagree about the non-essentials as long as we're in unity about the essentials. And so we're going to love each other well and have diversity and unity uh, together. So that's in two weeks, or yeah, two weeks from today, which will be uh, incredible. Today there's no sermon series, which I love, because a couple times a year I just get to preach on whatever I feel like it. And this is one of those Sundays. And it's raining, and it's the week after Easter. So I don't, God's going to do something amazing in you. <laughs> because how many know the hardest weeks to show up are the weeks you need to be here? right? Come on now. That's just how it works. That week where you're like, you know what, I'm going to sleep in this morning. And you're just like, that's, that's where your breakthrough is going to come. <laughs> if you show up, it just works that way. And this morning, I want to talk about what it means to experience a spiritual awakening. Now, you can use a lot of different terminologies. You, you, you use one that fits you. If you want to talk about spiritual renewal, some of you who grew up in the 90s like me, it was revival. Come on now. Anybody want to experience some revival in the room? What does it mean? It means something was dormant or dead that needs to be revived and brought back to life. And it's something all of us need to experience at one point or another. Uh, Craig just said this. We, Craig and I grew up in the same, not the same church, but it might as well have been the same church. Because we, I, I knew Craig's dad. His, Craig's dad is an incredible pastor in Claremore. And we grew up in the same kind of charismatic movement. And I, it, it was amazing. It was this renewal movement. And every time that I would experience the presence of God, like the manifest presence of God, when you're in a moment, not just like where the song hits the high note, but like you just experience the presence of God in this moment, I'm telling you there's nothing quite like that because it's a glimpse of eternity. It's this, it's this small like kind of foretaste of what we get to experience forever. And if you've ever had that moment, and I'm sure you probably have if you've been around the church very long, that it's a place where there's like no fear, no anxiety where it's like your soul kind of feels at rest and, and you leave those moments. And if you're anything like me, here's what I always kind of thought to myself. Why don't I do that more? Anybody else ever been there? Why is it so difficult for me to create space for the presence of God to move in my life? Why is it so hard for me and let me tell you, you can't dictate the presence of God. It's, it's, there's a mystery behind it of like, you can have all of the right things and sometimes you, know, you don't feel it or it doesn't mean God's presence isn't there. You just may not feel it. And, and sometimes you're overcome with emotion and sometimes God speaks and God moves and, and there's no formula to figure that out, right? 
Like I, I grew up in this, you know, in charismatic mania, and I'm telling you, I, in my undergrad and graduate studies, there were people that tried to quantify and figure out a spiritual formula for how God moves. Good luck with that. It doesn't exist. Okay? It doesn't. Now, there are truths that we can stand on, but there, as you just create space for God to move. We tell that all, people all the time around here, like we're, we're charismatic with seatbelts. What does that mean? We believe in the gifts of the Spirit to move, but we believe it should be done properly and in order, not just whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it. It's, it's to edify and unify the body of Christ according to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Paul even said that if it's not lifting up the body of Christ and it's about you, it's not love and it's not from God, right? So there's parameters on on how we experience the Spirit of God in our life. And this isn't even my message this morning. This is what happens whenever I don't know what I'm preaching on and I'm just going to allow God to move. I'm just kidding. I do know what I'm preaching on. <laughs> Why is it so difficult for me to create those spaces? Now, there's no, no like not news to you that over the last couple of years um, has been difficult for a lot of people. I was talking to a pastor who's also a counselor just a few weeks ago, and he said, people don't understand the accumulated trauma and grief that they've experienced over the last two years. So there's cracks in the foundations of people that have been split, and now from marriage to mental health to addiction to just heaviness to despair to all of these things that people can't even put their finger on because there's this accumulated grief that people are trying to deal with. Something has been lost in your life. Something, you know, you've had to change something. You gave up something. Some people lost loved ones, and all of these things have happened, and just the heaviness of just carrying the weight of everything that's happening. And, and I've realized that some people kind of have been in this place, and instead of moving out of it into the next place, they're just staying there because it's easy to stay there, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to get stuck where you are. And I tell you, there's a world right now that's looking and longing for something deeper, something more. And when they look to the church, I'm not sure that Christians are always there to point them to something deeper. I think there's a lot of followers of Jesus that your well ran dry a long time ago, and now you're trying to give out of what you don't have. That's not, it's not possible, is it? Your cup is empty, and here we are supposed to be giving the world what, what we lack. And so what happens is we get kind of sucked in just to the, the, the things of the world, the ways of the world, the, the rhythms of the world. How many renewal? Spiritual awakening is a needed and necessary part of our faith journey because it is impossible to live every day on the mountaintop. You don't live every day on the mountaintop, do you? The answer is no. And you remember Peter in the, in the Mount of Transfiguration, he goes up there with Jesus, uh, just three disciples, and they see Moses and Elijah, and what does Peter do? He's like, let's set up some tents right here, and we're just going to live right here because this is amazing and the glory of God, and Jesus is like, no, that's not what we get to do. Now, this is a moment we get to experience, but we have to go back on the mission, Right? We, we're, we're called to this. We don't live every moment on the mountaintop. We get to experience these every now and then. In the book of Acts, we see this. In the book of Acts, you have the day of Pentecost. We're going to celebrate Pentecost here just in a couple weeks. But Pentecost wasn't just one moment. It's like the, the early church experienced Pentecost again and again and again, right? They needed refillings of the Holy Spirit because it's not enough just for you to have one moment. What you need is you need to continually be renewed and refreshed by the Spirit of God. How, does that, how do we do that? What does that look like is what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes that we have. And then we're actually going to end this morning just with a time of worship and prayer because I think it's just necessary that we practice what we preach. Let me ask you this morning, how's your passion meter? How's your passion for the things of God? Have you looked and you'd be like, man, if I could track my passion meter, I would say that I've been on this steady and slow decline over the last little bit and now it's just kind of like 
plateaued, right? I think a lot of people feel that way. Maybe grief or trauma or brokenness has robbed you of your passion. Maybe it's just the passion, the fire that you once had is no longer there. I've told this story so many times. This was just one of those moments that I'll never forget. I, I was with a group of pastors and, and a missions organization flew us out to Colorado just for a couple of days of like renewal together, or just to pastors. And it was one house and we were all staying together and we would ski some during the day. We were in Breckenridge. And then at night we would just hang out and cook dinner together and just share life and honestly share war stories of being a pastor and try to tell people, me too. I went through that too. You're going to be okay. Let's just give each other a big hug because Sometimes we need that. And I remember I was downstairs in this basement and there was a pool table and there's a group of us and we're playing pool. And every night they would bring in some kind of person to come speak to us or just encourage us. And this night it was a guy who um, he had wrote, wrote a book for pastors called Replenish, a great book about how to replenish your soul. And then as we're, he's playing pool with us, he like jumps into the game. He's like, my job is to go in with business leaders and pastors after there's a significant moral failure and help the church and the pastor and the board find a way forward. He goes, I've done it over 250 times now. I'm like, that is an interesting job. There's probably a lot of things that you've seen. And so we're talking around the pool table and he's like, it's, it seems very nonchalant, right, in, in, in the environment. And he says, well, I can tell you over 250 times, there's one common thread that I've seen all 250 times. Do tell, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this one. And he said, every person, regardless of who they were, at some point, they lost their fascination with Jesus. They lost their fascination with Jesus. He said, they become more fascinated with something else. Not necessarily something bad. Sometimes it's an addiction, but a lot of times it was something good that they replaced with what's best. It could be a book. It could be success. It could be growth. It could be getting to the next step. It could be climbing the ladder. All of these things, they lost their fascination with Jesus. The gospel no longer became something that just gripped their heart when they think about, man, I've been rescued and saved and redeemed. And now it's like they become fascinated with this side project. And a lot of times, how many know the side project is about us and what we want and our success? And now Jesus becomes secondary in your life. And guess what? When Jesus becomes secondary, just the idolatry that begins to happen, the places that your heart can go, and the things that you begin to trade because you've lost your passion, you're no longer fascinated with Jesus. And I'm telling you that night down in the basement of that, that playing pool together, he probably thought it was just any other day. Nobody else in the moment kind of stopped. But I remember I left that pool session, went down and wrote that down in my journal. I said, don't ever lose your fascination with Jesus. And don't ever lose your fascination with Jesus. When I come to the table every week with the bread and the blood of Jesus, that it never gets old. I never go through the motions. I never stop remembering that I should have been on the cross, right? It should have been me. God, don't let me lose my fascination with Jesus. I think that when we experience these renewal moments, what happens is if there was this pitcher of water up here, you have this moment where you're kind of like there's an overflow effect and everybody wants to live from the overflow, don't they? And then throughout the week, what happens is we're poured out where God uses us or we just, we, we walk through things, we face difficulties and brokenness and slowly we become depleted and weeks can, or days and sometimes turn into weeks and weeks can turn into months and after a while we realize, man, we've already poured everything out a long time ago. And we need renewal. We need to be filled again. What does that look like for us? There's a thousand texts we could go through this morning. 
I look at Revelation chapter 2. I preached on this just a while back. The church in Ephesus, the, the seven churches, the, the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I, and I love Ephesus because here's what God says to them. He says, your deeds, like I commend you. Look at your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Like you just stayed the course. You don't tolerate wickedness, people of Ephesus. And how many know Ephesus was a particularly wicked town? Go to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. That's where Timothy was a pastor. It was bad. It's tough. You don't tolerate it. You don't give into false prophets. Like you've tested the prophets. You've tested the prophets against the truth of who Jesus is and what the word says. And how many know you need to do that? You did that, Ephesus. He goes on. He said, you persevered. You endured hardship. Verse four, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. You can do all these amazing things and you can miss what, mo what is most important. Like this is Paul when he's saying, yeah, you can speak in tongues of men and angels. You have all these spiritual gifts, but you don't have love. You have nothing. You have nothing, right? He says, you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Here's what you do, church at Ephesus. When you realize this, you repent. You go back and you do the things you did at first. You fall in love with Jesus again. You remember what it's about. Because if you don't repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand. Like God will not permit a church who has lost their way to continue to operate in the name of Jesus when they no longer look like Jesus. He comes and he snuffs that lampstand out. And let me tell you, that's sobering to me. So I'm like, how easy it is to, to lose your way. And you can think we've got it figured out. And it's a matter of time before nobody remembers that you even existed. There's a complacency that creeps in. We can be doing all the right things and have lost our fervor and zeal. Paul says this to the church in Rome, chapter 12, verse 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Then he goes on to say, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Oh yeah, just keep your spiritual fervor. Don't, don't, don't ever uh, stop lacking in zeal. How many of that's hard to do? Really hard. Uh, sometimes with Paul, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're a weirdo. Like things seem to be easy for you, but that's hard to do is to keep your fervor. Second Timothy chapter one, second Timothy is this charge that Paul gives to his spiritual son, Timothy, don't give in, don't give up, keep going. And what does he say to Timothy? Fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you when, when we laid hands on you. Has anybody tried to fan into flame something that was dying? Like, you ever been there? It, it means that it's, it's, it's dwindling, like it's waning, it's, it's going down. If you've ever been like camping, I took my boys camping at the end of last year, and it's like in the middle of the night, it kind of stormed. We got up in the morning, it was cold, and it's like there's a little bit of coals left on the fire, and you're like fanning that thing because you're like, get this going, right? It's freezing. It's kind of the connotation that you get here. Fan into flame, Timothy. I know it's tough. Don't let it burn out. Don't let it grow cold. I just think maybe this morning that God wants to fan into flame what has become dead or dormant in our lives. You came the week after Easter. It's one of the most least attended weeks of the year. That and like Memorial Day and Labor Day. And you're here, right? Maybe God wants to move. Maybe God wants to meet you and fill your cup. Maybe say, you know what? Man, just stop living from a place of emptiness. I want, to, I want to fill you to overflowing. I'm going to give you these things really quickly, and then we're just going to practice this this morning. 
How do we experience a spiritual awakening or a renewal? This is one of those lists that I had like 30 things on, but I got it down to seven, guys. I thought that was a win. Seven things that we can experience renewal, revival, awakening. Number one, through the regular practice of repentance. Repentance and surrender. Personal or corporate revival is always the result of personal or corporate repentance. It never stops. We just came out of the season of Lent, which is 40, 46 days, and if you count Sundays, of examination. It's a season of repentance. It is a season of looking at the cross, looking at our own sin, and examining our hearts. And there is something about that. There's a reason we do that in the Christian calendar, because you can't ever stop doing that. The moment you stop coming to the cross and repenting is the moment that pride begins to well up in your heart and you begin to think that you're better than you really are and that you're deserving of this and that you become the Pharisee and you don't even know it. To the regular practice of repentance and surrender, number two is this, we must continually realign our hearts to scripture and the life of Jesus. We can't assume that because we grew up around it, we know it. That's why we go to the text, we go to the scripture, we allow the word of God to speak fresh to our hearts and lives so that we're not culturally conditioned and we, and we don't even understand it, we don't even know it. My whole life growing up, I thought, you know what it meant to take the Lord's name in vain? Is to don't say, oh my God. Anybody else there? Don't say that. Like, you, your parents may have cussed like a sailor, but don't you say, oh my God. You know, like, well, okay. That's actually not it. It's doing or saying things in the name of Jesus that look nothing like Jesus. And I, I know I pick on this all the time. I have nothing against politics. We need men and women of God to enter into politics as kingdom people. But let me tell you, politics has made it so easy to take the Lord's name in vain. Both sides. It's easy to stand up with your own agenda and say, hey, God's on my side because let me quote this scripture that I'm going to make fit in this context in the name of God and God would have nothing to do with it. Let me tell you, if you're doing something for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, and it's not to set them free, God wants nothing to do with it. And you can make it sound good. You can take the, late, uh, the Lord's name in vain, and it, it can sound spiritual and be void of the spirit of Jesus. That's why as people of the kingdom of God, we always come back to the text. We always come back to the life of Jesus. And why do I say life of Jesus? Because the life of Jesus is always going to be the clearest reflection of who God is. Right? The Old Testament points to the character and nature of Jesus. It gives us sometimes a veiled attempt. It is truth, but the life of Jesus is going to give us the clearest representation of the kingdom to look at it with fresh eyes. Number three is this. We pursue holiness. Come on now, holiness. You guys know that's not a bad word? Did anybody grow up in a holiness movement? I did. And sometimes when you're in a holiness movement and it gets a little bit legalistic, you know what you do with holiness? I don't want anything to do with that. No, actually, I do want holiness. I, don't just, I just don't want legalism, right? You know what holiness is? Christ-likeness, to look like Jesus. Honor God with how you live. You know why the Holy Spirit is constantly drawing you into holiness? Because sin separates you from God, and the Holy Spirit is going to be opposed to anything in your life that, that separates you from him. Amen. Because God wants a relationship with you. Because God loves you so much that he, he's going to be opposed to what separates you. We think so many times that God is keeping us at a distance or that our, our sin keeps us at a distance. God is drawing us. The Holy Spirit is drawing us. And sin separates us. And so we, we live a life of holiness in order to experience more of God in our lives. I think this is why Jesus even said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They will be They'll be filled. 
Like you want your cup to be full? Be a person who passionately pursues the things of God. Like righteousness. You stand up for righteousness. You want what God wants. Number four. How do we experience spiritual renewal, revival, awakening? Through daily following the leading of the Holy Spirit and walking in obedience. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants to lead you every single day? Some of you are like, man, my faith, it lacks adventure. It lacks newness. It lacks something exciting. Let me tell you, if you are walking every day in step with the Holy Spirit, it will not lack adventure. You won't. It won't get bored. Boring. You won't get bored in your faith if you're walking this out. Because let me, let, let me just say this to you, that leading, the leading of the Holy Spirit is going to take you beyond your comfort zone, and, and there's a reason we call it a comfort zone, right? Because we like it. It's a place where we feel comfortable. It's a place where, you know what, I, I don't want to feel the pressure, and yet at times it's the Spirit of God that's going to lead us to places outside of that and move in the greatest ways in our life when we take a step of faith. We said, I don't even know how God is going to use this, but you know what, I, I feel like I'm supposed to say something to this individual or just love them or, you know, give them something and, you know what, I don't, I don't know this person or, or whatever it may be. There is a world around you that is hurting, that is looking for life. They are looking for a small, even action that says, you know what, I care. You know, that's a big deal nowadays. One thing that says, you know what, one act of kindness can open the door for what God maybe wants to do. Number five is this, learn how to navigate the dips. Navigate the dips. What in the world is a dip? <laughs> Seth Godin years ago wrote a business book called The Dips. And I took the principle and made it spiritual, where it was more of a business practice. And there's a whole concept about, around this that we won't get into, but how many know growth is not a linear journey up and to the right? That's not how we grow. Growth is a series of S-curves, S-curves that go down and up. And what you pray and hope is that, well, that I don't stay in the dip. But there's a lot of people that stay in the dip. Because in the dip, it's really difficult and it's, it's hard and you can't always find a way forward. And I see people all the time in spiritual growth and formation. And you're like, man, I just feel like I'm in a season of going backwards. Well, you may be plateaued. You may not be where you, 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 you want to be. But guess what? You're not where you were. Like you've grown significantly and, and it's not up and to the right because that's not how life works. And so what do you do in the dips? You've got to learn to navigate the valleys because what you do in the valleys will determine where you end up. And sometimes it's just looking and saying, I am in a valley, I am in a dip, and I am going to passionately pursue God, and I'm going to move myself out from this place and experience God in order to, to experience what God has for me. There's a lot of people that have been in a dip and just stayed there. Don't stay in the dip. Number six, two more. Develop regular rhythms and practices that sustain your passion. If you grew up, again, I, I feel like I'm picking on the charismatic movement. It's just what I grew up in, and I'm so grateful for it. But it was like we had to go from experience to experience. We didn't really know how to be daily spiritually formed to go along with our experiences that we experienced corporately. But when you experience the presence of God corporately, the presence and the power of God and the working of the gifts of the Spirit, and then you leave that experience and you begin to practice daily rhythms of transformation, how many know that's a sweet spot? That's how we sustain renewal and awakening in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit wants to transform you daily. Mountaintop living, living may not be sustainable, but you know what is sustainable? Drinking daily from the well of living water abiding in Jesus. So let me ask you this. 
in a fast-paced, technology-driven world have you developed the slow rhythms of Holy Spirit transformation? If not, you better figure it out. The culture, the world, social media, it will eat you for lunch and spit you out. The problems. In a fast-paced world, have you developed the slow rhythms of transformation? In a world that says you need to do more, have you developed the slow rhythms of Sabbath? Of God saying, you rest and watch what I do in your rest. And a world says that you need to be on 24-7 and engaged all the time in something. Have you developed a slow rhythm of retreat and getting away? Noise, media, news, constant bombardment all the time. Do you have a daily time where you say, you know what, before I even move into this, I'm going to set with God. Before I even open that email because I know what the emails say. And I'm going to get in production mode, and I'm going to start working, and I'm going to start hustling. I'm going to spend this moment, and I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus, because that's what my soul needs. These are the slow rhythms and practices that you fight daily. I can spend the next two hours and just go from TV show to TV show, or I'm going to get up, I'm going to put my headphones on, I'm going to walk around the neighborhood, and I'm just going to spend a moment with Jesus. This is real life, isn't it? You developed the slow rhythms of Holy Spirit transformation. It may not seem like much, but it's how we drink from the well. This is how we do it. Rhythms of prayer, renewal, community, Sabbath. Number seven is this. We must regularly gather together expecting a move of the Spirit and a willingness to wait upon the Lord in prayer. We must regularly gather together expecting a move of the Spirit and a willingness to wait upon the Lord in prayer. I totally get the church culture in America. I need a church with great programs, great preaching, great worship, great small groups, community, microchurches, whatever you, whatever you call it. You know what I don't hear? And I need a church that knows how to pray. I need a church that's willing to wait upon the Lord. I am fearful that we have a generation in the church that does not know how to wait upon the Lord because we, we don't know how to wait on anything. Waiting in silence is so uncomfortable that I'm going to fill the space. So what happens is that we don't experience God as much as we could. We don't hear the voice of God as much as God wants to speak. We keep ourselves busy and moving in, in, in order to avoid the awkwardness of the moment of waiting. But how many know it's in the waiting that God moves? It's in the waiting in your life. It's in the silences. As you turn off the radio as you're driving and God, I'm, I'm going to wait upon you. Well, how long? I don't know. I don't know how long. How, however long I need to wait on you, Lord. I'm going to sit in this moment as you speak to my soul. Do we know how to pray? Do we know how to wait upon the Lord? What if we were willing to sit in a moment and just cry out for God to move without moving on to something else or getting distracted or thinking about what's next? Let me tell you, you don't need the perfect worship song to experience the presence of God. It doesn't take the perfect environment. It, you don't need another sermon. Sometimes we're just so over-sermonized. What we just need to do is wait. God, will you renew me? Will you pour out your spirit upon me? My passion meter is low. 
God, will you refill the passion? Like, I don't want to live a passionate life. I've been, maybe you're saying this, I've been so consumed with your own problems and your own stuff that you just have totally neglected the mission of God. There's a lot of people that are in that place. I'll say no to anything that's uncomfortable because I'm just so wrapped up in my own stuff. Maybe your passion is low. Your cup is empty. You're trying to give out of what you don't have. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do with me this morning. You just stand to your feet all across this room. We're not gonna take communion together as we normally do, but I invite you to take it sometime over the next 10 minutes. It's just a touch point. It's more than just a cracker and juice. It it is a moment where I believe heaven and earth collide as we step into the work of Jesus done for us. You can take it just by yourself. You can take it with family member, spouse if you want to, whatever you feel comfortable doing. As we take of the bread, which is Christ's body for you, and we take of the blood, which is Christ's uh, blood shed for you, the juice. Let me say this this morning. If you don't know Jesus, we invite you to take Jesus during this time as Lord and Savior, that you can enter into this space. But here's what we're going to do. We're just going to worship together and wait upon the Lord. And what I'm asking you to do is to fight the tendency in your mind to go into what's next or where you need to be or what you need to do and to be fully present in the moment. And sometimes just to passionately go after Jesus. I've seen some of you how passionate you are about your favorite sports team. Come on now, I'm going to go there. I've seen it. I am too. And I know it sounds cheesy, but I told myself a long time ago, if I am more passionate about Oklahoma Sooner football than I am about my relationship with God, something is off. Like I am going to passionately pursue God in worship. And we don't tell you at City Church what that looks like. It doesn't mean you have to jump around and dance. But I'm going to ask you in this next moment to passionately pursue God. That may be lifting your hands up in worship and prayer. It's just as an act of surrender. Maybe it's making your seat an altar right where you're at. We're going to open this space up right here. If you need to come and just step out of your seat as kind of a symbolic action of God, I want more of you and I want to come and experience you. I am a full believer there is something about an altar space where God shows up in your life. Some of the greatest moments in my life have happened when I've just responded in that way. If you need to do that, do that. Marcellus is going to lead us. The team's going to lead us into this time of worship. It's not about the song. It is about your pursuit of God. Amen. Let's take this next moment just to wait upon the Lord. God, would you renew us, renew our hearts and souls, God. We are thirsty for more of you. God, like the psalmist says, in a dry and weary land, like walking through the desert, parched, looking and searching, God, you are the well. And God, I I am with the people in this room, Lord. There are parts of our souls that are so dry. We just ask to be filled with more of your spirit this morning. Would you overflow, not because we're deserving, God, but because you are gracious and good. Because you want to pour out your spirit upon your children, your sons and daughters. So right now, I I would just ask you to put your hands out, if you would, right in front of you, just with your palms up, in this position to receive. God, we want to receive this morning whatever you have for us. Whatever you want to do, 
on this rainy week after Easter where the grave is still empty, Father, we come before you and we just ask that you would move. We just, like they did in the book of Acts, we just cry out for more of your spirit that you would show up among your people who are hungry and thirsty to receive and that you would move in our hearts, you would speak to hearts and lives, that you would fill to overflowing, that your Holy Spirit and your, your manifest presence would be here with us this morning as we just cry out, God, that we need you. We need you, Father. Would you move among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.